India has is one of the few countries that has this. And an example of this is, um, again, in the 1971 war, which is, I guess, an example we keep coming back to, um, the, the Indian aircraft carrier at the time was used as a decoy to destroy Pakistan's only submarine, the INS Ghazi, a very famous film. Um, and in fact, the aircraft carrier was used to bomb Dhaka at the time, and it was therefore used to liberate Bangladesh. So the ability to conduct blue water operations is very important. So, I mean, I'll just summarize my point by saying, the Indian Navy has a lot of capability. Our shipbuilding yards have a lot of capability. We're very well regarded, and we have a set of customers that require cost-effective naval solutions. I think these are all facts are not known generally in the street. Welcome to the 15th episode of the Indian Market Story. We keep rolling, we keep rolling. Yeah, this is the final segment of our three-part series on the Indian defense sector. And we're here to talk about the PSU uh, naval defense manufacturers or shipbuilders rather. And uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting sector because there's very few companies in the space and, uh, but there's a lot of potential. So do you want to maybe introduce us to, to the sector and the companies that are at play? Absolutely. I think that first of all, these are only in the PSU space. They are leading shipbuilders globally recognized. And India is amongst the few nations in the world which can manufacture or rather would build such vessels, submarines, warships, mm -hmm. uh, passenger uh, ships, uh, bulk carriers. and. If I were to trace the entire shipbuilding industry in India, these are the only last three real shipbuilders left in India. Yeah. The other two, that's Bharti Shipyard as well as um, uh, there was another company, I don't remember the name, ABG Shipyard. Mm -hmm. They have all uh, you know, folded up, so to speak. Right. So it's a very difficult business. And I think it requires a certain element of, uh, I would say, government support, mm -hmm. which is what these three uh, shipbuilders have received mm -hmm. over the years which is why they've been able to thrive and but now a, prosper. But it is a very much a critical sector. If you can't build your own ships, you can't project power on the seas. If you can't project power on the seas, you can't protect your trade. And if you can't protect your trade, then you're at the mercy of whoever can. Absolutely. And India has a very long coastline mm -hmm. and a very active, uh, I would say, uh, water, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, commerce being used. Mm -hmm. It's important from point of view of fishing as well. Yeah, but you know, it's not just the, the coastline defenses. We also have to remember that we have to protect the Indian Ocean because that's our backyard. Absolutely. And I think India is one of three or four navies in the world that has the ability to carry out blue water operations. So these coastal operations are all, you know, short distance, near to shore. You don't need as many large ships. But to conduct blue water operations, you need long supply chains, uh, large ships with heavy displacements and building the competence to build them indigenously is extremely difficult and extremely rare and extremely valuable. And at a low cost. And at a low cost, yeah. So I think uh, all of these are, these shipbuilders, they check these boxes and uh, these are really big ticket uh, order flows and mm -hmm. they take anywhere from 5 years to 15 years to construct as well. So from that point of view, shipbuilding industry is very different because uh, the long gestation which goes into manufacturing or producing a ship, uh, the entire process is on a revenue recognition basis, which means depending on how much of the ship you have constructed is that much is what you can build. And typically in the initial phases, the construction phases, the revenue is there but the margins are not there. 
then as and when the ship comes to completion you will see the revenues go up but the margins will go up even faster right because of revenue recognition accounting norms so that's very interesting um and i think that's reflected in you know the financials of the three different companies we're here to discuss today that's right so we're going to be talking about mazgao docks cochin shipyard and garden reach shipbuilders each of which has their own special uh, special competence and their their own ability to produce different kinds of ships particularly Absolutely. for defense so let's maybe start out with mazgao dock shipbuilders and i think their dry dock capacity is maybe in the 30 to 50000 uh you know displacement weight tons uh primarily sorry primarily because they produce frigates destroyers and submarines which are relatively smaller ships but extremely critical to the functioning of a navy because they they often um they're often required at volume that's right and i think again technology speed uh, <coughs> their capacity their capability all of that comes into play and again i think they have to move with the times in terms of what the requirements of the indian navy is as well mm-hmm. so there's a lot of technology uh, inputs over here and mind you this shipbuilding is is uh, requires a very sophisticated supply chain mechanism in place as well because there's all the equipment and all the various systems are not manufactured by the shipbuilders mm-hmm. the shipbuilding is more of a assembly job as well right. and integrating all of these uh, small small and large equipment so as to make the entire ship functional and relevant right and i think that's maybe reflected in uh, in how some of these companies are valued so let's maybe talk our viewers through what the financials of mazgao docks are yes um so over the last 5 years their revenues have grown at 11% compounded and profit at 15% compounded but order book has shrunk at about 8% compounded over the last 5 years and i think that reflects what you were talking about where a lot of the orders they've received they've completed um and that's why you know their order book position is going down but they've realized a lot of that revenue and now that they're getting close to delivering a lot of ships they're realizing a lot of incremental profit which is why you see their profit outpacing the growth in their revenue that's right and also what a lot of these uh, ship builders they work in very close uh, cooperation with the defense ministry mm-hmm. it's not that the defense ministry can keep on handing out orders to ship builders uh, they need to assess what capacity is coming up which are the ship which will be ready to deliver at what point they'll get delivered and then place new orders right. so i'm not too worried about the order book position of the ship builders mm-hmm. it's the execution which is a big risk factor for the ship building companies right and there could be changes in design changes in technology uh, delays in getting the right type of equipment right testing there are many many moving uh, paths, moving paths yeah. so so i yeah. think but let's let's, fo- let's focus in on mazgao docks because they've been around for a very long time and they've clearly got a long execution track record absolutely um and something really interesting to note they're they're headquartered out of mumbai and they're very tightly integrated with the western uh, naval command of india so just very interesting thing to note India's two biggest naval victories were during the 1971 war if i'm not mistaken where we launched three frigates that were missile carriers and when we were fighting pakistan in 71 they conducted an immense operation where they bombed out karachi's port and they bombed out karachi's fuel reserve systems which were really quite critical to helping us win that war and um, so clearly mazgao has deep expertise in building these frigates and destroyers because they've been doing it for a long time and 
there's a long demand for these frigates and destroyers. So just to give you a little bit more in terms of context. So we've spoken about how we want to anchor our military capabilities to China because that's who we see as a peer military. India has only 42 warships versus China that has 138. Wow. Yeah. Huge disparity. Huge disparity. Now, of course, there's the aircraft carrier uh, component of this, and, and we'll come to that particularly when we talk about Kochi shipyard. But the vast majority of your navy, in terms of tonnage and displacement, comes from frigates and destroyers, mid-sized ships that form the bulk of a carrier group. And Mazgar docks is critical to producing that. That's what I think, and that's why it's so important from the defense industry point of view. And mind you, they haven't even scratched the surface when it comes to exports. Yeah. Uh, so on the whole, I think uh, Mazgao Dock has been a recent discovery mm -hmm. uh, because of the entire flavor of defense, which is why they have come into focus. Massive order book position and I think great earnings visibility, but I would also say high degree of volatility in their earnings, which I don't think all investors will be able to stomach. Yeah. But you know, another interesting thing uh, with Mazgao Docks that I found quite surprising, is that they're currently trading at 24p, which is not that expensive, particularly when you consider future, future growth prospects, when you consider you know, the long-term P of the Nifty. But in the last year since listing, they are up 4x. Wow, that's fantastic. You, yeah. I didn't know that number. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which confuses me because I would like to understand who exactly allowed, allowed Mazgao Docs to list at a P of like 5x. See, that's the government, I think, you know, they're in their hurry to kind of list these companies. Uh, actually, all PSU companies have been listed at very, very low price to earnings multiple, low valuations. And it's only now that the order book positions are bulging, this entire focus on Atmanirbar, on self-sufficiency in defense. That's where I think investors recognize the immense potential of all defense companies, including the naval shipyards. And that's why the stock has moved up the way it has. Also, to an extent, uh, tight uh, liquidity, closely held uh, mm -hmm. uh, shareholding pattern. 84% of it is still exactly. owned by the government. Exactly. So, That's also one of the factors. And once you have institutional orders, marquee investors buying into it, automatically the fancy gets created. Yeah. So let's maybe move on from Mazgaard Docks uh, to Kochi Shipyard. Now, an interesting thing about Kochi Shipyard, we spoke about Mazgaard Docks having dry dock capacity of about thirty to 50,000 tons. Kochi Shipyard has a capacity of 1 lakh or 100,000 massive ships yeah. massive 100,000 to 125,000 tons and this becomes extremely important when you realize what exactly it is that they produce so india's only indigenous indigenously developed carrier ins vikrant do you want to take a wild guess where it was no, produced it was produced by cochin shipyard it was Kachu produced by cochin shipyard so cochin shipyard is one of the few shipyards in the world that has the capacity to produce aircraft carriers now Again, just a little bit more context. So the INS Vikrant is a displacement of 40,000 tons. So you measure a ship by how much water it displaces because that's how much if it's under the water, that's how much it can carry, that's how much space there is for aircrafts to take off, so on and so forth. So INS Vikrant has a displacement of 40,000 tons. The Fujian, which is China's flagship carrier, has a displacement of 80,000 tons. Double the size. Double the size. And the US, which is the Gerald R. Gerald R. Ford carrier, has a displacement of 100,000 tons. Wow, massive, massive, massive carrier. Absolutely carriers, huge. Yeah. So we have a long way to go, and Kochi Shipyard should be able to service that with its capacity. That's why I think we'll be seeing larger and larger carriers as we go along. 
and that's where Kochi Shipyard, <coughs> which is one of its kind, will come into play. And they have got the resources, I think. It's just uh, that you know, these are long gestation projects. They're very expensive as well, so you really time there. Yeah. Uh, the placing of the orders and then execution will take years, if years not a decade, yeah. to build it. But I think it's going to happen at some point of time where they will get a massive order for a large uh, aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. And that whole process will start, the billing will start, and it should start to get reflected in the performance of the company. Yeah. So again, just for some context, because we continuously anchor India's military to that of China's. India has, at this point, two functional aircraft carriers. China has three. The US has, I think, seven or eight, if I'm not mistaken. But more worryingly, China is hoping to get up to seven or eight by 2030. So there is a lot of demand, particularly in terms of aircraft carriers, that we will need to have fulfilled. And I think that's reflected in, you know, Kochi Shipyard's order book, um, which has been growing at 18% compounded over the last five years. That's right, I think. And these are all big ticket items. And as I said, I think order books is not the issue for India's naval shipyards. Mm -hmm. It's what they can actually deliver and how quickly they can deliver. Because everything is not in their control. A lot of it is dependent on external supplies. And as and when they can construct these ships and get the equipment in and install it and start to test it, that's when the building will start. So if mm -hmm. they can deliver these ships, these massive carriers earlier, order will keep on flowing to them. Yeah. I think maybe they've had some delivery problems here or maybe it's just a lull after delivering a big aircraft carrier because their revenues have only grown at 4.4% over the last five years. Or rather, they've degrown at 4.4% over the last five years. And profit has even more worryingly fallen by 8.6% over the last five years. So it's maybe not in a great financial position, um, but you can't argue the order book, you can't argue the capacity. And so the earning visibility is there. If you look at the order book position of Kochi Shipyard, it is at 21,000 crores at, as of 31st March. And its revenue for, for March quarter was 2,300 crores, almost nine times its mm -hmm. revenues is its order book position. You can imagine that for nine years, they can keep on generating that 2,000 crores type of uh, revenue yeah, yeah. without accounting for the fact that they may get new orders. Of course. So from that point of view, I think it's sitting on a, I would have said, Absolute very strong order book position. Yeah. I mean, what's funny for me is that both Mazgao Docks and Cochin Shipyard, they're only valued at 24p, despite, you know, running up very heavily in recent years. And... That's not something I quite understand because a Navy is, if anything, more important than an Air Force for a modern military. And, you know, the order book position for these guys or, or the future orders for these guys should grow at a really nice clip over the next 10-12 years. But it doesn't seem like the market is valuing them at that, at that level. And I, I can't for the love of me figure out why they're doing that. I, I don't the reason understand. for that is globally shipyard. Uh, shipbuilding companies are not valued at very high price to earnings multiple. Even shipping companies are traded at low single-digit PE multiples. So from that point of view, I think investors have this perspective that they cannot pay a high price to earnings multiple for a naval shipyard. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason also is clear that when we talk about Bharat Electronics and HAL and some of the other Indian defense contractors, uh, it's all about technology. Mm -hmm. It's all about, uh, you know, being abreast with whatever is happening in the world and more and more investments are going into figuring out what will be the next big wave when it comes to technology spending. But when it comes to shipyard, uh, basically a shipyard will build the ship. Mm 
Yeah, but all the equipment inside, the electronics, the electricals which go into it, uh, the weaponry system, that's all outsourced. So I, I'm not 100% sure that's entirely true. Uh, and I'll provide some numbers to, okay. to offer that, to sort of offset that. So 62% of the Indian Navy's equipment is indigenously sourced. But for INS Vikrant in particular, which is, I guess, the pinnacle of shipbuilding in India, 76% of all equipment was indigenously produced. That's so, right. Maybe indigenously produced. But how much of it is done by the shipyard themselves? Mm -hmm. That's the point I'm trying to make, is that largely they construct the ship, but all the equipment and the systems and the electronics which go into it is outsourced. It is so not substantial value-add then? No, no, it's a great deal of value-add. But it's not in the same level of a Bharat Electronics or HAL, right. which is in a different league. Okay. So we're just trying to discuss why the valuation ratios are lower for shipbuilders. Also, if you look at the return on equity or return on capital employed, that is also lower for shipyards mm -hmm. because it's a capital intensive business. Yeah. So one needs to keep that in mind as well. And the return on investment, the return on capital employed does have a direct impact on the price to earnings multiple which you pay for a company. Right. So let's maybe move on to our third company, Garden Ridge Shipyards. Um, and again, just maybe as a side note, some context. There are only four strategic shipyards as designated by the Ministry of Defense to produce defense vehicles. Three of them are Mazgao Docks, Kochi Shipyard and Garden Ridge. The fourth is privately held government owned, so not worth discussing. But uh, they're practically operating in a monopoly. Now, Mazgao Docks primarily operates in, you know, frigates and destroyers. So, you know, uh, mid-sized mid -size ships and carrier battle groups. Um, Kochi Shipyards produces, air, you know, aircraft carriers, which is the, the, the masterpiece of the carrier battle group. But Garden Reach comparatively produces near-shore, you know, boats, cutters, you know, landing vehicles, sort of less sexy boats in, in naval parlance, so to speak. So, I mean, less less fun to talk about, but an impressive set of numbers nonetheless. So if we just, you know, very briefly glance at their revenues, over the last five years, they've grown at 13% compounded. Um, profits have grown at 15% compounded. But I think, you know, when we talk about the contrast between the early two and this one, order book has only grown at 3% compounded. That's right, but still I think, uh, sizable order book, 25,000 crores and revenues of 2,500 2 crores. So 10 years mm -hmm. uh, book to build ratio, mm -hmm. uh, which is quite impressive. Uh, but you know, you're right, from a quality perspective, Mazga would be the best rated in terms of uh, naval shipyards, then would be Kochi and then would be Garden Reach, purely on account of its technological capabilities and the type of vessel that it constructs. So I think uh, from that point of view, investors should look at Mazgaon Docks as the best, so to speak, naval shipyard mm -hmm. to invest in because of the size, because of the kind of uh, uh, variety of uh, ships that it can construct. And the capabilities it has in exactly. constructing those ships. So, you know, we always pay higher for quality, which is why I think Mazgaon Docks stays at a premium for these two companies as well. But I would say that there's reasonable uh, prospects for Kochi as well as the Garden Reach. But again, I think we should warn investors that there could be a high degree of volatility in their earnings. And the best time to be buy would be when they have a poor one or two quarters or so, which can happen because there's always be a lag in terms of billing. So you mm -hmm. may have a large order book position, but if not much work is done in a particular quarter when you can't bill it, you may have a situation where profits are lower, which has happened in the past. Of course, right. So 
I think we've spoken about these three shipyards in depth and we've, uh, we've continuously spoken about the export potential of India's defense industry. So let's maybe, you know, circle back to that. So tell me, Varun, what is so, so special about India's export potential when it comes to defense? Because Right. So that's something that I've wanted to talk about. So the global arms market is valued at $200 billion. Um, India currently only exports $2 billion worth of arms equipment. That's it, 1%. 1%. Okay, maybe we don't have the capability. Here's where it gets even more interesting. Russia has 16% of the global defense export market, global arms market, so to speak. And in the last year and a half, two years, it's clear that not only are they able to supply, but their quality of supply is quite bad. That's true. I think they have underinvested in their defense equipment. Right. Defense for no, the quality is just bad. They just don't have the technology that they claimed to have. And that's the big problem here. So if you're a third country, let's say you're an Asian country or... African, know, yeah. You're not, or an Af not, not, not African. I don't think they have the money. But really, Egypt, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, um, those countries primarily, you need a defense supplier. Now, when you're looking for a defense supplier, the defense supplier has to be cost competitive. So the US and Europe are almost by default out. And this is where Russia used to step in because they were a reliable supplier. Because no matter what happened, they'd sell you the weapons, right? And a defense supplier has to be reliable because that supply is even more important in times of conflict. Because if at the point of conflict, your supplier abandons you, your whole military is useless. So if I'm one of these countries and I'm thinking of, you know, who should I be buying my weapons from? Uh, the US and Europe are too expensive. China comes with far too many caveats. And so I'm not really left with any options. And the other thing is, the Russians have been supplying weapons to a lot of countries for a long time. And so a lot of countries like India have built up a Russian defense platform. So you need more defense weapons that build on top of that platform. Which is where India comes in, I think. Because Which is we are in a similar position, but we have far more advanced defense equipment manufacturing industry than some of these other countries. Yeah. Very interesting point, Vaughan, yeah. yes. And also, I think Russia is focusing on its efforts in Ukraine. No, but that's, see, that's a short-term thing. You, you, don't, you don't buy a defense supply. You don't choose a defense supply for three years, five years, seven years. You choose a defense supply for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And who knows what will be happening 25 years later in Russia. But it clearly is not a reliable enough partner for a defense supplier. So what about China plus one? Now you're talking about Russia plus one over here. No, I'm, just, I'm talking about removing Russia from the supply chain. Okay. So there's about $40, $50 billion worth of orders up for grabs over the next 15 to 20 years. Because defense orders, very long cycles, very, very long cycles. And if in that time India can develop enough production capability, then all the diplomatic efforts that we've been putting into place to build good relations with the global south, all of that will come to the forefront. And all of that will allow us to provide defense equipment at reasonable costs. It's that value component that I think we'll win at. Yeah, Warren, but you know, the key thing which you spoke about was the capacity creation. I think to an extent we are lacking enough capacity creation. We ourselves have a very strong requirement for domestic uh, consumption. And top of that, I think from a government perspective, exports will not always be uh, you know, at the expense of uh, less production for the local defense industry. So we need to keep that in mind, mm -hmm. that although there's a huge opportunity, whether we have the actual installed capacity to supply, and mm -hmm. always, I think, our own 
requirement will take preference. Of course, our requirement will, will take preference. And it's true for every it's, country. It's true for every country. But the government has set a target. So currently, we export $2 billion worth of arms. The government has set a target that by 2025, we want to be exporting $5 billion worth of arms. Wow, that's a huge... Uh... Yeah. And it's not out of whack with what's been happening in the last eight years. So in the last eight years, our defense exports have grown at 8x. So I think we're just expecting that trend to continue. So any company that's able to capitalize on this export trend will unquestionably do well. The private sector defense players that are, you know, providing subsystems. Um, but, you know, more often than not, cross-border defense deals are done on entire platforms. And because, in particular, if we look at, you know, what the two big platforms are, you have a naval platform, you have an air platform. Um, for our aerial, aerial platforms, we don't really manufacture the main components ourselves. I think we only have a 56% indigenization ratio as opposed to 76% for aircraft carriers and 62% across the Navy. So I think these three companies, our naval shipyards in particular, could be very well poised to become export ship, export powerhouses where we export missile cruisers, destroyers and frigates to the Asian countries in particular. Because another, another really interesting thing to remember is all these Asian countries, they have ongoing naval conflict with China. Oh yes, that's a very important point. And you know, when you keep on comparing China with India, what comes to my mind is that China's requirement also is bigger than India. They have larger borders, uh, they, they get into conflicts more often, and they view US as an adversary and they're trying to benchmark themselves to the US. Right. You know, so from that point of view... But it's also, it's also worth knowing China doesn't have the capability to be a blue water navy. Oh, is it so? Yeah. There are three to five countries. US, India... So what UK. do you mean by blue water? So blue, so there's there's two, there's coastal waters and there's deep ocean waters, right? And as a Navy, what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to project power, not just near shore, but far from shore. Okay, so you can go thousands of kilometers yeah. into another country, yeah. go to another country and, right. and do a defense operation. Exactly. And, and it's very difficult to do because you need a lot of capability, you need a lot of investment, not just in terms of materials and manpower, but also in terms of training. You need a long supply chain. And again, India has, is one of the few countries that has this. And an example of this is, um, again, in the 1971 war, which is, I guess, an example we keep coming back to, um, the, the Indian aircraft carrier at the time was used as a decoy to destroy Pakistan's only submarine, the INS Ghazi, a very famous film. Um, and in fact, the aircraft carrier was used to bomb Dhaka at the time. And it was therefore used to liberate Bangladesh. So the ability to conduct blue water operations is very important. So, I mean, I'll just summarize my point by saying, the Indian Navy has a lot of capability. Our shipbuilding yards have a lot of capability. We're very well regarded. And we have a set of customers that require cost-effective naval solutions. Oh, I think these are all facts are not known generally in the street. Uh, and maybe as in when they give one or two orders globally, mm -hmm. it may make a huge difference in the perception of these companies as right. well. So let's hope for the best. Yeah, I think India's got a long, uh, a lot of capacity that it needs to fill in its own navy. Um, but I think if these shipyards can build enough capacity, they'll find enough orders internationally, no doubt. Absolutely. I think in terms of our discussion on defense, it's all about how much they can produce how quickly they can produce and what type of equipment they can produce. I think if they get that right, sky's the limit. Absolutely. So I think on that note, let's maybe close the podcast and you know leave our viewers with something really interesting to think about, uh, about where in the defense space they'd like to apply and, and more importantly, when they'd like to make the move on defense stocks. That's right. Varun, I think trying to play a contrarian will help. 
This podcast is produced by Elixir Equities Private Limited, a savvy registered research analyst. Registration number INA 00004787. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and information purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Investment in securities market are subject to market risk. We strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing.